Hey! We're Kenyon and Takara Martin, faith-based marriage coaches, champions for healthy love, and lovers of pizza. And this is the Ask the Martins podcast, where we answer your single, married, or dating relationship questions. With practical advice and research-based techniques. Have a relationship question you want answered? Well, send us a direct message on Facebook or Instagram at Ask the Martins, or visit us at AskTheMartins.com. Now, now, let's, let's get, get into, into today's, today's episode. episode. You ready for this, babe? I certainly am. All right, let's go ahead. I see Texarkana in the house. That's sure What's going on? Great. So let's go ahead and get started. All righty. So very first question we got. Why is it so hard to let go of people who are not good for us? Are we desperate? No, you're not desperate. No. Actually, it's funny because in that link, you'll find the seven or six reasons why it's hard to let go. But to be honest, it is natural to not want to let go of somebody who you love. Yeah. Someone you built a relationship with, someone you spend time around, someone that you have became connected to, someone that you have become so tied to or and have an intimate connection that has changed you. Intimate connections change us. And because they change us, when we lose those connections, it's as if a part of us has left. That has nothing to do with desperation. Now, what we do desperately is find someone else to put in that spot. That's what has to do with desperation. But the feeling of that is not desperate at all. Yeah, we've touched on this before, but I think it's very important to understand that everything about how we form relationships, whether it's non-romantic with our family or romantic in a romantic relationship, everything about that has been designed so that we are growing attached to someone, that we are accommodating them in our lives, that we are making room for them in our head and in our heart and just in our everyday routines and activities. And so when those relationships are broken, understand they were never designed to be that way. Your heart, your mind, your body, your brain chemicals literally create an attachment that was not designed to be broken. So when it is broken, your heart, your mind, and your body fight against everything that is within you in order to hold on to that attachment. That's why you feel like a crazy, desperate person when they're gone, even though they hurt you. But when they come back, all of a sudden your brain is calmer. All of a sudden your heart rate slows. All of a sudden everything about your life feels better, even if it's for a moment. All of that is because of how you were designed to build relationships. So it's not desperation. It's not anything wrong with you. It's all about how you are built and breaking away from that and walking away for good is absolutely going to take time. That's why we are saying download our free PDF and it's fillable. You can type in it, write in it and everything. Again, it's six reasons why it's so hard to finally let them go. You nailed it. Thank you, babe. You nailed it. I learned a lot from my husband. <laughs> oh, His hush. name is Kenyon Martin. Hush. Hey, Just Heather, saying. how are you out of California? Hey, also Heather. saw Black Butterfly out of Philly. Good to see you, girl. Okay, let's go ahead and go to this next one here. Okay. What's the best way to deal with a man who's passive and extremely 
introverted? I'm going to let you answer that one. So here's the case. When you're asking about a man who's passive and extremely introverted, obviously there you have aversions to, number one, introversion, and number two, being passive. Both of those are two totally different things, though. A man can be introverted and not be passive, meaning that he's ambitious or active and, and aggressive in what he wants. He's just like to be alone or he runs out of energy around other people. Right. And then there's passive. There's it's okay to be passive if you're not ambitious or if you're not motivated by too much other things. Now they can cross each other because when you have an introvert who loves being by himself and who loves to think and spend time in thought and spend time processing and spend time doing things where you'll find that they feel like they're passive and really they're active mentally and emotionally. So I think the very first thing before we begin to address him, yeah. it's important to address what you know of him or how you interact with him or how comfortable you are with him. Because if you're dating and you're uncomfortable with that and you just can't take it, and it depends on the depths of that. Mm -hmm. Because you can have someone who's so introverted that they don't know how to communicate. It has been paused i'm trying not to say well i mean it's kind of like you don't want to say crippled but exactly i was trying not to say yeah i was the other word to, yeah. yeah i was trying not to say that but they don't know how to communicate so you want to begin to look at those things now you're dealing with a man what's important for you as far as his passivity does he need to be ambitious is does he need to be outgoing does he need to be willing mm -hmm. and ready to run with you or try to keep up with you so to speak yes what's important for you in introversion does he need to talk to you more does he need to touch you more does he need to not play video games anymore there's a reason why a lot of men especially my age and a little bit younger still play video games and i'll share that with you if anybody asks but the idea is that what is bothering you and then whatever is bothering you you approach it in a way that doesn't make him feel like he's the problem or doesn't make him feel like he's a problem or doesn't make him feel like he's diseased because just because he doesn't meet certain criteria or standards that you are used to or you want or you have pictured for yourself i'm not saying it's wrong but it's very important to receive someone where they are as long as it's not abusive does that make sense it does and i think it's important you you started down a path that i want to kind of just pick up on for a moment you said look you know what is it that you want and again, whenever somebody asks us, how do I deal with, it's a very fine line because there are certain things, especially while dating, you should be deciding if you want to deal with those things. So it's not about how it's, you know, is this something that I can put up with? Is this something that I can deal with for myself without trying to change him into something that he's not? Yeah. Real talk. Some people are introverted, but also some people are just poor communicators. Mm. Some people are introverted, but also some people just don't like engaging and being active in their lives. And they've had people do things for them or accommodate them where they're at their entire lives. And if it is not motivating for them to be a better communicator, to be active in the relationship, be active in their own life, you have to decide if that's something that you want to deal with, if that's something that you want to really compete with in that relationship and create a tug of war from what you want, from what you see that they are. Take a step back, decide what you want in a partner. What do you need? How do they fight? How do they deal with money? How do they do with their own life? Like Kenya said, what are mm -hmm. they doing in their career? Like all of that stuff. And if that's not what you want, there's no dealing with what you have right here, perhaps. 
start by communicating, you know, seeing if they can kind of meet you where you are. But if that's not who they are, if they're not a bad person, they just may not be what you need them to be with where you're headed. Amen. Nailed it. Thank you. Shawana says she got a big question, baby. Ask that question. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. You could do it in parts, you know, fill up all the different characters and then (laughs) do it again. Big old question. Go ahead. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Don't forget to hit the like button. I forgot. We always forget to ask about that. Hit the like and the notifications because some people missed us today, but because they didn't get the notifications. That's right. That's right. Hit the like button, the subscribe and the notification. You ready for the next one? I'm ready for the next one. Okay, I'm sorry. This is the one that just went by. I just wanted to mark it out. Okay. cool. What can be done to help a man with abandonment issues feel secure in a relationship? I can't wait to hear you start that one. (laughs) What can be done? To help a man with abandonment issues feel secure in a relationship. Mm-hmm. So there's several levels to that. And I want to make sure that we're clear about these levels. Number one, it is not your responsibility in a sense to cure him. It's not your responsibility to acquiesce to his insecurities. Okay. That's very important to understand because once you acquiesce to those insecurities, what you're doing is you're enabling and catering to those insecurities and he'll continue to get worse. These are things that he needs to face. These are things that he needs to work on. These are things that he needs to be honest about. Now, the second level of that, if you already know that he has abandonment issues and he has pain in his past, if you want to be in his life, it is a responsibility or a priority to be sensitive to those needs. That's very important. It's his priority to be sensitive to those needs. That means you're going to be open. You're going to be honest. You're going to be, you're not going to be hiding anything. You're going to be connecting with him and having an open and honest communication. You're going to set those precedences and you're going to make sure that he can trust you and you're going to look trustworthy. And anytime that he says, or he doesn't believe you're trustworthy out, let me just pull back here and I'll use a live example. Okay. Me. So I'm a man who has been cheated on in the past. And because of that cheating, that had instilled into me a great deal of insecurity. If I go back into that relationship in which I was cheated on that hurt me going into that relationship, I was already insecure within that relationship because of the lack of communication that we had. We were very young. And so that's how that went. We ain't know nothing. We shouldn't have got married then. Right, right. But the idea is, is that I was already insecure. I acted out of my insecurity and that got me a divorce. Yay. And that got me cheated on. So I'm not saying that she was right. I'm just saying that I own my part. (laughs) There you go. I ain't got nothing to say about her. I'm owning my part. So that created that insecurity. Well, time goes on. I start talking to Takara. We start hitting it off and I began to share that insecurity with her. First, I was open and honest about that insecurity and how that began. With that, she began to be open and honest with me about who she, I don't ask who's that, what's this, what's there. I started off kind of rocky, I would say, but I was so into Takara and I trusted her so immensely that there was no real issue, but she was always open. We And she's sensitive to that. Right. But, but when I feel myself feeling insecure about a particular situation, who is that? Why are they, you know, Mm -hmm. acting a certain way? Mm -hmm. Why, for instance, 
a young man who's Takara's friend before we were married thought he was going to maintain this particular position and just bypass me and talk to her without greeting the man. That was sort of insecurity, but that's also just how I believe men to greet men before they greet the significant other. And I stepped right in front of him, shook his hand, looked him in the eye and said, how you doing? I'm her husband. That's one way. But then there's other ways in which maybe I, I, I can't remember one offhand, but where I felt like, okay, babe, who is that? What's going on? I don't know what's going on. And then I pull back and say, you know what? That's my insecurity talking. Let me pull back. I apologize and let her know that that's where that was going. These are the stories that's playing in my head. And so I'll pull back and then she understands. She responds with saying, well, I appreciate that. That wasn't this. That was this was what was going on. And that's that we have open and honest communication regarding those things that hurt both of us. We've both been wounded before we entered into this relationship. We were just blessed to have had therapy and education in order to occupy this relationship in a high level in a great way. But I hope that makes sense. So yeah. you're not responsible for healing him. He's responsible for addressing it and he should not be making you pay for it. But you are, if you decide to stay in his life, you are taking on the burden of being sensitive to his needs in those areas. Yeah. And I think that's a really, really big thing you called out just now. You're not responsible for it. You cannot heal it. And I think it's very important that every step of the way of your relationship, you're constantly having internal dialogue with yourself to say, am I being forced to be held a prisoner to their insecurity and abandonment issues? Mm -hmm. Or am I simply doing things to accommodate their insecurities? Again, being an open book, being trustworthy. If you are being forced to be a prisoner to it. It looks like you silencing yourself. It looks like you cutting off friends. It looks like you not being able to have any other relate friendships outside of that. It looks like you not being able to see family, friends, whatever. It looks like your moves are being controlled to secure mm -hmm. their insecurity. That's being a prisoner to their insecurity and abandonment issues. The other side of that, though, is what Kenyon described between he and I. I'm expressing that I have these issues, but I'm taking on the responsibility of of managing my insecurity, getting the help that I need to work through that. So because by the end of it, every we all have insecurities, but insecurities become bad when we try to use them to manipulate other people around us. And that's what makes our relationship different. I know he's had somebody cheat on him. So I know if I have male friends, there is never a conversation that I have with a male friend that Kenyon does not know about. There is never a text message that I get that Kenyon does not know about. Hey, I text, you know, Bernard today, like whatever. Oh, he called me. Did he call you? What are you talking about? Because here's what he told me. Like literally <laughs> we have these conversations and there's no such thing. Female friends reach out to him. I have maybe three female friends that I know. They'd be like, oh my God, I needed help with this. I was like, you better call Kenyon. And I know that those female friends are not going to cross boundaries with my husband. There are people that we have a mutual trust with that have carte blanche access to our spouse that we know will not infiltrate that. But it works because we communicate about it all the time. And if there's ever a situation where we feel uncomfortable with somebody, we will cut somebody off and block them in a quick, fast, in a hurry, because this is what's most important to us. And so... Yeah, yeah. we've had that before. We've had <laughs> on, that before. On my end, where... But I, I like to help people. <laughs> yeah, baby. Look, if she like you, listen, baby, <laughs> that girl like you. And I know she like you and she's going to get beat up like that sort of thing. <laughs> so 
There is a way to manage insecurity, but as, especially if you're not married, you need to always make sure that whatever it is that you are accommodating them through, number one, your needs are being accommodated as well. But if it's creating anxiety, fear, anything like that, that's not on you. They need to fix that. And you may need to take a step back until they fix it. I'm sorry for the long winded answer. No, that's fine. That's fine. Let's go ahead and go into the chat. We have a I stack yeah. of questions. So let's start with this one. Top. Yes, I got you. <laughs> she says, hey, I'm back. Just curious if I could ask how to deal with my husband that isn't emotionally mature. When you find out, you know, into being married, do I pray him through it and let God show him at work? And then she says, he's not open to therapy or counseling for himself or us. However, he's willing to do what I asked to rebuild trust from how he handled his baby's mother situation in Spain. Yes, that conversation is coming back to me. Thank you. Do I fall back and pray him through? I keep biting my tongue. and I just keep trying to see him and love him for who he is. Do I fall back and pray him through it? So basically, bigger picture question. So this makes, you know, more sense. We have somebody who's married to somebody who's not emotionally mature. They have been having inappropriate conversations with their child's mother Mm -hmm. who lives in another country. And they have not set proper boundaries with that person. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing this for the audience, not you. I know you know. Oh, no, Um, no, 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 no. It's good. It's good. It's good. And so then, you know... Point blank, we initially told this young lady that, first of all, you have to acknowledge that they may not have been emotionally mature enough to be in a marriage. And now that has to be worked through. He doesn't want counseling. Okay, how do we do that? And she wants to know, do I just fall back and pray him through? So what say you, Dr. Martin? Here's the thing. This is the thing that I found very interesting in what we just read. Let me see here. Where was it? This is going to be the most important part. He's willing to do what I ask to rebuild trust. He's willing to do what I ask to rebuild trust. Mm -hmm. So now you have a pliable heart in front of you who's willing to do what you ask to rebuild trust. So you're going to want to figure out what it is that you need from him in order to have that trust rebuilt. That's number one. Number two, I would also have you go to counseling or therapy in order so that the therapist or the counselor or the coach can pull out what you might need so that you can articulate it better or articulate it in a way in which he can follow a lot closer. That's number two. Number three is when you're praying for him. Well, let's talk about prayer for a minute. I'm very hesitant in the issue of prayer to leave something totally and 110% up to prayer and the idea that God will handle it because there are situations that God will handle it. Okay. I don't want to be sacrilegious. We do trust God and we know that God can handle everything, but God is also gentleman in the sense that he handles people's hearts who are open to him. Okay. And what that means in a bigger picture is a person has to be pliable in order to be open for God to be working through them. Now, when we go back to praying for your husband, he is pliable. He's pliable to you. And if he's pliable to you, he is pliable to God because he's really trying to understand. He's already trying to figure out what to do with this ex-wife or the ex-baby mama. So he's also trying to work it out with you. That shows or that indicates a point of pliableness, which means that that's something that God can work with. And that's something that if you pray about, but also do these other things because you want to be you want to partner with him in that. Okay. And if you pray about it, God will continue to work on that heart and massage that heart and open that heart up to what you need from him as a husband. Mm -hmm. Marriages are 
are very different in the sense that God is going to honor your marriage. And as an honor, there's an intentional effort there that goes into from his spirit to your husband's spirit. As long as your heart, your husband is demonstrably pliable or not even demonstrably, as long as he's pliable for God. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Now, you'll know when he's not pliable, when he's not responding over a period of time. It does take time. Maturity takes time. If you want to go grow a plant, it's going to take some months before you see a bud. Right. Okay. Or before you see a full flower. So it's going to take time and you're going to have to be patient with that. So this is where you apply patience, not tolerance, but patience, patient in him. Patience is all, all you're doing is waiting for an expected outcome of God and him working together to become the husband that he needs to be for you. Does that help? And here's the thing. If he doesn't want to do counseling, I really do think our book covered could be a great tool for you. It's not counseling, but it does provide you with tools that you could find in counseling. It gives you perspectives and it gives you tools and ways to work through and talk through things. It's yes. available on audiobook, but you can order the book and workbook on Amazon I think as well. I got that yesterday on audiobook. Oh, did you get it yesterday? Mm-hmm. I went good. So I think, you know, sit back, answer those questions at the end of each chapter, have these conversations. I think it's, you know, if you're working through those things, especially the very first chapter on safety, I think safety is probably one of the pivotal things that you guys need right now. And then on into the rest of those things, security, like safety, security, trust, and empathy are the four things that we talk about in that book. And it's something, no matter what people are going through in their marriage, that book definitely breaks down some key things, especially if you're dealing with someone who perhaps isn't emotionally mature or wasn't necessarily prepared for everything that marriage was going to require of them. Hey Amen. Thank you so much, babe. I love it. I'm over here looking at you. I'm like, oh, she, she all right. Okay. Well, thank, I think it's the red lips, y'all. I think. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, so she says we're staying in the YouTube, right? Yeah, stay on the YouTube. They came. Let's get it. Yeah, they came for us. She said, my question is, how do you deal with a man who thinks flirting with females is he's called friends? My man has been sneaking behind my back talking to this female that I have no idea who she is, had her in his car. He was at her house. They have drinks and stuff, flirting, and he thinks it's okay. I think he's cheating on me. And then I asked if they were married and I did not get that answer, but I feel like it doesn't seem like they're married. Okay. And so what I will say is, again, these questions that begin with how do I deal? That's the very first thing I key in on, because when you say how do I deal, you're saying how do I either position myself to be okay with how this person is treating me that's hurting me or how do I force them to do something against their will like how do I deal goes one of two ways in that situation and I think really what you should be asking yourself is do I need to deal with this what am I worth how is this person making me feel and is this something that I want myself to do with is this something that I would want my children to see me dealing with is this something that I want my children to later see as being okay dealing with. You said you feel like he's cheating on you. I'm going to be 99.7.63% sure that he probably is. And if he's not, he's on his way there. I would be willing to bet that 
you probably have already started going through your mind, the anxiety, sneaking through phones, showing up places, finding ways to figure out what's going on. And whenever you get to that point, it is not healthy for you. It's not healthy for the relationship. Absolutely, you love him. Absolutely, this is someone who you thought you may spend your life with. Absolutely, this is someone that you've invested your time and your heart and your energy into. And so it's not easy to think of, what if beyond what you've imagined for this relationship? What I will say is though, take a step back from this and really begin to talk to yourself like you are talking to your best friend. I don't want to deal with this. I shouldn't have to deal with this. I am a good woman. I do this for this person. I do this. I'm that. I'm that. What about who I am as a woman deserves that kind of treatment? Mm -hmm. And you let that sit with you. What about you deserves that treatment? Because if you're allowing it, side of you is saying either one, on some level, this is just how relationships are, or maybe another level is you're thinking that if you stick around, if you hang around, if you torture them enough, if you torture yourself enough, somehow they're going to appreciate the woman that you've been and then change. It never changes. And as long as you allow this, as long as you do nothing, as long as you do not make them pay the consequence, and by pay consequence, I mean you remove yourself from the equation so they can go ahead and be to the streets, mm-hmm. then that is going to be something that they are going to see and be like, oh, she ain't going nowhere. So I'm going to still be over this woman's house. She's not going to make me pay. I'm going to still be over here doing what I want to do, having drinks. Because you know good and well that if this was okay, you should be able to do it too. And we know you ain't going to do that. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. I just want to say hello to a poet because he sent us those questions yesterday that we covered. Sup, sir? Um, so here's the thing, and this is what I've kind of keying in on here, is the idea that he's sneaking to do certain things. I want to say something just from an objective perspective. Yes, sir. Of when a man or a woman, but we're talking about a man here. When a man decides he's going to sneak and do something behind your back, that demonstrates that he already knows that this is uncomfortable for you or that this bothers you and that it hurts you. Now, it doesn't mean... We're not focusing on what he could be doing, but let's focus on that. The idea that he has determined that my behavior is going to be a problematic for you. So I'll continue in my behavior, but withhold my behavior from you. Mm. That's something that you need to really make a pay attention to because that shows a character trait that shows character attributes that this is how he deals with conflict between you two. And if this is how he deal with this one situation, then other situations that's going to come up, he's going to deal with those the same way. You begin to judge and deal with him and discern his character in these ways. These are opportunities to discern character. Now, here's what I would recommend. If you want to stay in this relationship, how to approach it, how to approach it, because the biggest key is, okay, he's doing me wrong. How do I approach it? Car laid that out perfectly. And I just gave an objective point of view about how that works logically. How you approach it is you go to him and you let him know, I like this relationship. I like you. Don't use these words. These are just kind of, I'm just laying them out because these are the points. I like this relationship. I like you. I don't like how I feel in this relationship. I don't like how I feel when such and such happens. Try not to say you when you do this or when you do that, just say, I don't like how I feel when 
I don't know what's going on around me when I think there's sneaking around going on and there's someone else who is priority over me. I don't like how that feels and I don't like not knowing. In order to maintain this relationship, how can we come together and maintain this? What can we do that doesn't include sneaking around, that doesn't include prioritizing someone else, that doesn't include my discomfort? How do we do that? I'm only nice because this is not, you don't attack a man in a relationship that you want to keep. You might be frustrated with him, but you never attack a man in a relationship that you want to keep. You don't attack a woman either. But what I'm saying is, is that the worst thing you can do is attacking out of your own personal offense. If you really want to keep that relationship, let's just say the relationship goes long term. Now you're establishing a way to address situations and conflicts. This is how you should be addressing them. And then. Later on, again, if it does go long term, he's established a character trait. So you want to begin to snip that in the bud every time. Have these kind of conversations if you want to. Now, if you like I'm hurt and if you keep doing this, I'm out, then that's certainly your prerogative. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that that will perpetuate the hurt if this this is something that you really want. Really quickly on yes. that one, too. A lot of times, women, we see our men doing stuff like this and we're like, oh, I'm going to put my freakum dress on, like Beyonce say, go to the club, get my groove on, whatever. Right. I'm going to make him jealous. And honestly, that's probably one of the most unhealthy things that you can do. What I just thought of while you were talking, if you have a man who is treating you a way that you know is beneath what you deserve, begin to build and work on you even outside of him. Mm-hmm. begin to build and work on you and begin to improve how you see yourself and how you value yourself. Because every time you get stronger in that area, it is going to force you to look at how everyone around you is treating him, treating you, not just him. Look at everyone around you who's treating you poorly and be like, I don't deserve this. And so it doesn't become a place of like, I'm going to put an ultimatum on you and say, If you don't do this, then I'm going to do this. Because a lot of times when we vocalize those things to our spouses or our significant others, it's really as a point of manipulation just to see if they'll snap back in line. But really begin to tell yourself, if I don't begin to feel like I'm valued, I am going to do this. If I don't begin to get treated like I want to do to yourself, not to him, to yourself and build your strength up, get up and start exercising, get up and start doing things that make you feel good about you. Even while he's there and still acting a fool, because again, if you don't want to lose him, fighting him, nagging him is not going to help. It is not going to improve the situation. Working on you is going to have you. It's going to force you to become mentally and emotionally strong enough to look at how they're treating you or how people are treating you around you and make decisions to remove yourself from that because you're going to eventually see that you deserve better. Amen. Hopefully that helped. If it did, let us know. If it didn't, ask us a follow up. Right now, we're going to go to our super chat. Hey, hey, V, thank you so much. We always like seeing you. And then when you do something like this, it just touches our heart. We appreciate you so much. But because there was a super chat, there is a question. So let's go ahead and follow that. Yeah, she says, I hear a lot of people mention being whole as I heal during my divorce. What does being whole look like? That is a fantastic question. You want to go? 
Or you go ahead and start. I wanted to go look at something really quick. So here's what goes on. We always have this blanket answer for people who don't know what to do after divorce. We know they need to heal. We know they need to become whole. We know they need to get to a place in their life where they can actually date again without bleeding all over someone else, right? Mm -hmm. Without their pain being transferred or projected onto that other person. But what does being whole looks like? I want to kind of give you some real talk here. No one will ever be totally whole. No one will ever be totally healed. No one will ever be totally in a spot as if yesterday never happened and it never bothered me. We're all going to be wounded from that divorce because someone was literally pulled apart and pulled out of us by that divorce. Someone who we used to, who we spent time with, someone who altered our being emotionally, mentally, physically, biochemically, neurologically, all of those things that come into contact with us in marriage and long-term relationships, when that breaks apart, someone has been moved or torn away from us. How do I deal with that wound? Well, first of all, the very first important thing that you have to do is you have to heal from that wound or get to a place where you're stronger without them. Who are you without them? If you can't see who you are without them, then you're not healed enough or you're not whole enough. That's what I wanted to say. Whole enough and heal enough are what you're looking for. Not whole, not healed, but whole enough and healed enough. So who are you without them? How do you feel without them? And what that means is if you happen to run into them in a grocery store and they're with someone else, or if you happen to know that they're with someone else, or if you happen to run into them outside, out and about, and they're alone, what triggers and how do you respond to that trigger? So now we're dealing with the triggering pain and we're dealing with the response of that triggering pain. Let me give you an analogy with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's just say we're burnt. We were burnt on our arms, right? And when you're freshly burnt, you could put your arm under cold water and it feels so good, but let that water get even lukewarm and it hurts incredibly badly. So that level of tenderness right there will trigger you to move. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have to test your level of tenderness emotionally in that area. When that level of tenderness turns into a callus or turns into a wound that it's there, but you can barely feel it. That's when you know that perhaps I'm whole enough or heal enough. Now you could barely feel it, but that same thing that burned you, how are you dealing with that? Because if you're scared to cook again, if you're scared to iron again, then you're not ready yet. So how are you handling that? Do you, are you just a bit more careful or do you just avoid it altogether? So those are things that you want to begin to deal with. Okay. Outside of that, as you work towards getting into a relationship, when you're dating someone or what the rest of it, you'll know as you're dating someone, do you project your pain? Do you project who that person was onto this person? If a person who has been physically abused is talking to someone who is very animated, then they will be triggered. Okay, and because they'll be triggered Mm -hmm. if they trigger and say and they run, then they're not ready yet because they projected a whole abusive situation on that person. But if they're triggered and say, hey, listen, I've been through so much. Can you just tone it down just a little bit? 
that's when you're taking care of yourself. That's when you're controlling your environment, creating boundaries and making people aware that they have to be sensitive to your needs and those wounds. It's okay to be still be wounded. Just understand that you got to be healed enough and hold enough. Did that help? It did. did. Okay, it go, did. Go, go. And so I wanted to kind of really just pick up. I was going to read something, but I'm going to wait because I know we're going to introduce that later. But I wanted to just pick up at a place of wholeness in who you are. And you guys pay attention to this because it's something that we're actually going to be uh, teaching on later coming soon. But really, it's it's taking accountability and control of your past, letting go of those past, you know, toxic relationships, the ability to be able to let go and not them impact you the way Kenyon said. Right. Right. But it's also being able to be comfortable and loving and accepting of yourself within your own skin. It's really being able to receive who you are. It's getting to a place where you love you again and you do not diminish your value anymore. And mm-hmm. it's being able to walk upright and face anybody, male, female, romantic relationship, unromantic, non-romantic relationship, and basically say, I love me and I accept me and I receive me for who I am. And anyone else who I'm going to allow in my life at this point has to do the same. And I think being able to, to get to that level of wholeness, that level of peace about who you are and peace within yourself is pivotal for moving on after that divorce. Because understand when you go through a divorce, literally, there has been an emotional wrecking ball that has completely flipped your life upside down. Mm-hmm. And it's not until you get to that place of rebuilding and rediscovering who you are outside of not just the wreckage, but also that relationship on the other side of that. That's what's going to be important. And so stay tuned. Go download that freebie because it's also going to add you to a list and let you know when our coaching opens up, because these are things that we're also going to be walking you through in that program. Amen. 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 I want to hit this one. Okay. How do you move on and feel secure in a relationship where you have been made to feel insecure and inadequate by their actions? Disappears for days, weeks, not a great communicator on feelings. Side note, lived together in the past for years, have a child together, once engaged six years ago. He came back from a six month disappearance and now wants to get married. Says he's willing to do what it takes to show me that he won't break my heart again and wants his family. But I don't know that I can trust it and almost feel foolish for considering. First of all, you don't feel foolish for considering it. What you're doing, it is a bit of hope. And when someone who has demonstrated this kind of behavior over a period of time says they'll do anything to make it right, then if you want to consider it, then you will have to also consider making them do anything. So let's go back to the top. How do you move on and feel secure in a relationship where you have been made to feel insecure? The very first thing is if you've decided that you're going to move on, and you're definitive about moving on, then you have to make that decision bar none. You have to make that decision because if you haven't made that decision, that's one of the reasons why you're considering his proposal. You have to make that decision to move on. Why are you not moving on? Is it because that you feel insecure? And if it's because you feel insecure, you're all inadequate, then immediately you're seeing everybody else seeing you as insecure and inadequate in the sense of not being enough. You don't think you'll be enough for anyone else. So perhaps you can try again with the family that you've envisioned at the very beginning. 
Does that make sense? So you want to be careful about making decisions in this space of fear. Don't make a decision to be with him in that space of fear. If you know that he's unhealthy, he has to move on. Considering it, if you want to consider it, then he spent how many years? This last stint was six months. Let's look at this. He has treated you and made you feel insecure and inadequate, okay, by his actions. He's disappeared for days slash weeks. He doesn't communicate or he's a bad communicator on feelings. What has he done to make these things change? And these are the things that are breaking you. What has he done? What therapy has he gone through? And see, and yes. so and here's the thing. He has done these things to you repeatedly, repeatedly. This is his behavior. Don't believe that things are changed once you're in chains. Okay. We'll say that one more time. Don't believe things are changed once you're in chains. Father God. Because that's what a marriage like that looks like. We often talk about people come to us about divorce and they feel so ashamed of divorce. And so, and they're grieving what they had to go through and they wish they didn't have to divorce. And, oh God, oh God, there's not a God of divorce and God hates divorce. But no, divorce is not God's best for your marriage. That's not how God wanted it to turn out. But being in prison is not his best for your marriage either. And if this puts you into a prison, these are doors that you right now, at the most part, right now you have access to. Only you can walk into the cell and pull the doors close. Mm -hmm. And we really don't want you to do that. Not without special long-term consideration on his mental, emotional, and physical health towards you. Because all that is abuse. Abandonment is abuse. Spending time away from you is abuse. And your children. Purposely making you feel inadequate, purposely doing these things to you is mental and emotional abuse of purposely not being able to communicate while it may not be in his wheelhouse or his ability to, while that may be natural, not focusing on that in all the years that he's known you, not looking, I'll tell you this, not empathizing with your needs is abuse. Mm-hmm. In all these areas, he has not empathized with your needs because obviously they've hurt you and he's been with you long enough to know that they do. Makes sense? Yeah, if I can. Yes. Not that I can add any more wisdom. Lord have mercy. No, that I think was you should. so good. Here's the thing. Sometimes <laughs> it's so sad that I'm going to refer to a fictitious TV show or a fictional story. Okay. But there is an episode, like last season of, of Insecure, right? There was a guy that, that Issa was dating and he just disappeared. This was the first time, right? He just disappeared and then came back. Come to mm. find out the man had mental health issues. And when he goes through depression, he disappeared on her. Great. They didn't get back together, but I understand what you're struggling with. Blah, 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 blah. Let's just say it's mental health issues because sometimes that can be the case. I think this has been a long time for that to be, you know, a situation and it continues to manifest repeatedly. But let's just say that it is. Benefit of the doubt, cards on the table, then he needs to go get help for that and learn how to communicate and learn how to stay when things get tough. Because something that my husband says all the time is that if that man as a boyfriend can't handle times getting tough and disappears, trust and believe Is that what you want carrying you or covering you in a marriage if y'all decide to get married? 
that is a very big consideration to take a look at. And so let's just say it's mental health. Let's just say, okay, I have bad communication. You need to work on that. He needs to go get help away from you, like in counseling by himself before you consider marriage again. And he cannot be doing it for you. He has to be doing it for himself. And then the last point he was gone six months, See if he can last twice that long being consistent, dependable, providing security, providing safety for you in that relationship, giving empathy in that relationship for at least a year before you consider marriage. I'm not telling you this because I want you to be unhappy. We're not saying this because we think that you should just be like, you know, forget it and quit it, like just walk away. We're saying this because once you get into a marriage, Imagine how much harder you're going to fight to save face because you felt silly for doing it to begin with. Mm. We have many of us, I have, (laughs) have stayed in a relationship a little bit too long because now that we're there, now that we're in this marriage, now I've got to fight for it. So people don't judge me for for getting into it in the first place. Heck, I went back to one even after I was healed. I didn't want to say it out loud. I didn't want to put your business out there. After I was healed. Uh Uh-huh. And it did, man, listen, it did not work. Mm -mm. And so that's the situation there. Literally see if he can get help on his own. Then see if he can spend six months plus six months being safe for you, providing security for you, being trustworthy towards you and give providing empathy for you. Amen. Miss Tweety out here just dropping all kind of gems. Y'all go ahead and read what she's dropping because it's good. It's she good. Preaching. It's good. good. She's preaching. She's preaching. Let's go ahead and ask, answer this then. This one right here because we wanted to get his question. We did want to get his question. He said, hey, guys, you go ahead and read it. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. That was him. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> How was the adjustment from being in a long distance relationship to living together? My wife and I were long distance until four months ago. And when she moved from Georgia to Michigan, She's having a hard time because she missed her friends, old job, and the life she established over 15 years of living in Georgia. Mm. She's she's homesick and yeah. she's and she's having a hard time transitioning. And I think they she moved from Georgia to Ohio, right? Michigan. 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 That's close, okay. close enough. <laughs> it's cold. I like you read it both just right cold. there. Yeah. Okay. But here's the thing. With, with us, it, it was a little bit different in the sense that we were both we're both in Georgia, but we both discon- moved from other states. So we were used to being away from people that we grew up with and had known yeah. and things of that nature. So we didn't really struggle with that. I think our only struggle was the idea that we had a great an awesome long distance relationship. Once we started spending time together and living in the same house with each other, we forgot what it took to make that relationship because we took for granted that our presence was enough. Remember mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we took for granted. So we stopped talking because yeah. we had our presence in a long distance relationship. We purposefully interacted. Once we get started living together, we just walked by each other and that caused the rift until we stopped one day and say, hey, listen, something's wrong here. Let's look at what's going on. Yeah. What's the difference between then and now? That's the only thing that we dealt with. As far as her being homesick, I think it's going to be a, a case of, I don't want to say it abrasively, like something that she has to get over. Yeah. But it's going to have to, it's going to be something that she has to work through. And you can empathize with her in that process, helping her keep contact with her friends, helping her keep contact with her parents, helping her keep contact with friends at the old job, helping her keep contact and continuing to show interest in her ability to maintain that. Because when you have established a presence in a 15 year period, this is something that you've built. This is a literal sacrifice that she's done 
and that she's given up for you. Last thing you want to do is walk by that sacrifice as if it was, this is what you're supposed to do. You're a wife now. You know what I mean? You do not want to take that sacrifice for granted. So when you invest in the sentiments of that sacrifice, and that shows her that you get it, that shows her that you empathize with her, that shows her that you at least have some interest in helping her feel some level of comfort that you particularly can't provide, which is okay. So that's why I believe that you should start there. And then as you go through it, I mean, you can always ask us more questions, but as she grows and as you two grow closer and mature in that relationship, it ought to get better and less sensitive in that area. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I think you have to go together. And so you're going to have to start creating it. Literally you're building a new life from scratch in a new place. You know, we both had an understanding of kind of what that would look like and what going back home, you know, when we would do those things too. And so, right. It's cold, but it's, you know, setting a plan that says, Hey, can maybe, you know, once a quarter, you go back to Georgia, see your friends, whatever we put that in the budget, let's do that. But also, you know, we're here now, let's start going out to events, perhaps, you know, connecting with church, like getting involved in small groups, getting involved in things that are going to introduce you to a new life and build a new life, make new memories together where you're at. It can be depressing, especially, especially if perhaps she's moved and doesn't have a job yet to so now you feel like you've also lost a piece of your purpose, you know, things like that too. And so that's a huge culture shock. I don't know what sort of premarital counseling y'all got into, went into it, you know, with dealing with this, but there is a a strong need to cope in this and readjust. And there's going to be an adjustment period. Any marriage is an adjustment. Marriage in a completely different state now living together, becoming one, figuring out that he leave clothes all over the place and she leave food all out on the counters. Like those are things that you're now working with and learning together. And so it's going to start with, first of all, do not wait until things get really, really bad to get counseling. Do not wait until you're resentful, can't stand each other. You know, for you as the husband and she came to live with you, you may start to feel like, well, shoot, why did you marry me if you weren't going to be here? Why, you know, you know, all this resenting her for missing home and her resenting you for making her leave home. Mm. Don't wait until it gets bad to have these conversations and to actually go to counseling and talk this out. Because what you're dealing with is normal. Not going to get help is actually abnormal. Waiting until the last minute is the last thing you want to do. Start having these open, honest conversations and dialogues and getting help now to help you both process through this and work through this together. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Ask the Martins podcast. Record it live on social media and distribute it to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible. Now we can't grow without you, so help spread the love. Wherever you found us, rate, like, share, and leave a review. We are grateful to you and appreciate you in advance. Do you have a question for us? Then visit askthemartins.com. Ask us your question or ask for a friend. Once again, thank you for tuning in to Ask the Martins podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program.